0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 431 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you?
1: Oh, good. Still quarantined in our house. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, we did have, uh, I don't know if you've done anything, like to support local businesses. I think my favorite thing we've done is there's a local uh, wine shop, which you've actually talked about a few times on the podcast. Yes. hmm really
2: mm-hmm
1: uh we where jill and i both live is a local wine shop that's owned by local people and obviously you can't go to the stores but they're doing this thing where if you call them and be like hey here's i want to order some wine and champagne or whatever you just like tell them how much you want to spend and they'll literally deliver it to you like they'll drop off
0: that is amazing
1: door. yeah so we did that that's like how we're passing the time is like finding ways to support local businesses good times
0: um, my husband went grocery shopping at La Plaza, which anyone in Cleveland knows is a, a market um, known for their tacos. They have a taco place that always makes the top list of tacos in Cleveland. Um, and so he went grocery shopping there and they had far more stuff than I think he was anticipating because who's going to go shop at, you know, like the, the ethnic markets? Go shop there, people.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The places, we've been doing the same thing, like a few times I tried to go to Heinen's and it was like Armageddon, but then I've gone to a few, there's a place called Lake Road Market, um, Mm -hmm. same thing, like they had, they were fully stocked and they had toilet paper and and all sorts of stuff that we needed. So yeah, definitely support your local places. Um, This episode has nothing to do with any of that, but that's just how we're surviving over here. Um, Today is an interview we did with uh, Rachel Harrison whose the new book The Return just came out. Um it's Rachel's debut and it is super creepy. It's horror. I think I think we discovered this because our friend Mallory from Reading Glasses like blurbed it. I think it's I believe it
0: that is correct. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it's all about this group of friends and one of them goes missing. Uh her name is Julie and she they basically lose hope that she's ever gonna come back and then two years later she returns but she has like no memory of where she was and she's emaciated and she has these really odd appetites which becomes a very big thing in the book um they decide to go on this like trip to a remote inn to reunite and as you can imagine does not go well um so it's super spooky and fun and it's a really good way to kind of take your mind off everything that's going on right now so that's the return by rachel harrison and um She's just a super cool person, and I, I think you guys are going to love this. So uh, That's what the interview is, but if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that?
0: You can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter, at ProBookNerds, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at com.
1: Yes, you can. We actually had somebody email us about um, they're asking for books for their children because they have, they're have they basically homeschooling at the moment yeah. and in some ways entertains so us. I was happy to help out that. So if you guys need some help with recommendations, let us know. Um, also two things, because Jill mentioned them in the last episode and I remembered. Um, Big Library Read is currently going on right now. So uh, the book is called Funny You Don't Look Autistic, which is a memoir by uh, comedian Michael McCreary about growing up with autism spectrum disorder. And it's really, really great. We've seen a bunch of amazing comments about from people who've already read it on the discussion board. Uh, definitely check that out you can see more information at biglibrary.com and also i'm going to put a link in the show notes for those of you who have been listening in the past several weeks of episodes jill and i are both raising money for the leukemia and lymphoma society um we I, obviously everything going on it's changed a lot about how people are able to raise money for anything but if you're able to provide even just a few dollars we'll have a link in our show notes uh, it goes to both our respective teams and um, yeah it'll help find a cure for blood cancer and like we talked about last episode uh, people with immunodeficiencies are most at risk right now with everything going on so the sooner we can help find cures for for major diseases the better so um, anything else people should know about that you can think of
0: I think that's everything
1: okay awesome all right well I'll let you guys get to this Uh, interview. So please enjoy this fantastic conversation with Rachel Harrison on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hey everybody, it's Adam and I am super excited today to be joined by Rachel Harrison, who was born and raised in, as she says, the weird state of New Jersey, She received her degree from Emerson College in writing for film and television, and her debut novel, The Return, has received praise from previous show guests, including Christina Dalker and Sarah Gailey, and our good buddy Mallory O'Meara calls it moving and terrifying in equal measure. Publishers Weekly gave it a starred review and calls it hair-raising horror, and I completely agree with them. Rachel, thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's my first podcast. So I'm a little nervous, but also very excited.
1: (laughs) Well, I promise we're going to have a lot of fun, and I I can already tell you, I know you're going to do great. So do you want to kick us off by telling our listeners all about The Return, kind of introduce them to it?
2: Sure. Um, So The Return is about a group of four close friends who reunite for a weekend at Kitschy Remote Inn. And they haven't all been together in a while, so they're trying to, like, figure out how to be around each other again and navigate the shifting group friend dynamics, which is particularly difficult because one of the friends, Julie, has just returned from a mysterious two-year disappearance with no memory of where she's been or what happened to her. And she's gone and acting a bit strange, and the hotel just so happens to be pretty creepy and there are noises in the walls and odd shadows that maybe aren't shadows, and escalating tension and spookiness ensues.
1: <laughs> it very, very much does. I think I saw somebody describe it, which made me laugh, as Mean Girls in the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. <laughs> which not <laughs> that's oh. kind of how I pitched it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's like it was pretty, pretty accurate. But I don't want to ask the like generic like, where did you get the idea from? But I guess sort of like. What inspired you to want to write this type of story? Because chatting with you for the few minutes before we started recording, you seem very kind of lighthearted and easygoing, and this is a very heavy, dark book.
2: Um, well, I think the, the Mean Girls thing, um, I definitely I love to write about relationships, and for me, the most like profound and deep and nuanced relationships in my life or my relationships with my um my close friends. Um and I think it's hard to come across in my experience books or movies that kind of like have portrayed close friendships um kind of in your twenties. Um and so I wanted to explore that. Um and it's like When I wrote this book, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a publisher. It was just me kind of exploring how I felt and kind of what I experienced and went through and my own fears and insecurities. And um, so I think the group dynamic and the kind of shifting relationships between the friends and how, you know, when, like, I have a close group of friends from college and how your lives just progress at different rates like, I had a friend who um, had children and got married, and I had a, like, I was in New York, like, in my apartment eating burritos off a of paper towel, like, in my boxer shorts. <laughs> so, like, there's just different, like, like, I was broke and, like, couldn't afford to do anything, and other friends, you know, get good jobs right out of college, and so you just have different experiences, and you're in different places. And I think also with social media, like it's easy to look at somebody else's life and be like, oh my gosh, they're doing so much better than I am. And those kind of feelings of insecurity where you feel like, well, their life looks perfect. So I have to say that my life is much better than it actually is when in like reality, you might both be struggling and just not too afraid to show what the reality is like. So, um, that's kind of how the book came about, and the themes I explore in the book, um, the creepiness and the like horror aspects of it. That's just fun. That's <laughs> <But just laughs> me having a good time, and kind of I don't know. Otherwise, I'm not motivated to. Otherwise, it just feels like therapy. <laughs> like I'd rather mm-hmm. like there was some scariness in there and a fun, creepy setting, or else. To me,
1: it's not as interesting to write. It's so interesting that you were you know, kind of talking about that friend dynamic because because it is it's so true. Like I'm in my early 30s currently. I have like one more year that I can say early, and then I'm officially in the <laughs> mid mid 30s. We're like holding on to it. But I had my group of friends from college, like you did, who it's like one of them is like a high ranking official in the army, and one of them runs uh, campaigns for political people now. And like we'll have these conversations, like these very respectful conversations via text message to each other. But then, like, someone will send a text about, like, hey, remember when you when you bonged a whole bottle of, of wine? It's, like, such a weird growth. And then I'll look at them, and, like, one of them has four kids. And I feel like even at my in my early 30s, I have two dogs and a wife, but I feel like a complete child. It's, like, comparing yourself to each other, it is very much a dynamic that, you know, I know you said you're just having fun with the horror part, but, like, it's really easy to see how, putting those people in those situations in like a heightened situation can only increase not only the fear, but really like the emotions of their relationships.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe the horror part was fun, but I think as I was writing it, I think, um, kind of the other motivation behind it that might've been a little bit more like hidden to me that kind of came out as I was going, um, I also had two close friendships dissolve in my late teens and, like, mid-twenties. And I know for, like, friendships, you don't really have, like, there's not really a template to how to mourn, like, the loss of a friendship. Um, and, like, those, the, the ways that, like, one of them was a falling out, um, and another was just kind of a very slow like, drifting until Mm -hmm. one day, like, I saw on Facebook she got engaged, and I was like, how could she not tell me she got engaged? I'm finding (laughs) this out on Facebook, and I open up my phone, and, like, our last text message conversation was from, like, a year before, and I was like, what the, like, it shocked me, like, how, like, that much time could go by, and we haven't spoken, and I didn't even realize, and it's terrifying, and it was also, like, I kind of, you get these ideas about these people in your life, about who they are and where they're going, and then sometimes they take a left turn, and they change, and, like, that's, like, how do you deal with that? And I think there was a lot of that, like, repressed inside me, where, like, I would have dreams about these people, but just kind of, like, shrug it off, and, like, there was no, like, I didn't cry, and... Eat ice cream like you do with like a, a like a romantic relationship breakup like that whole thing like I I never like processed what happened or got over it and like it's really scary that that can happen in your friendship. somebody who like like both of these friendships were very like long significant like friendships and they just fell apart and it's scary that that can happen and so I think as I was writing, you know, I had, like, the group dynamics, and, like, oh, I'm gonna, like, throw it, set it at this creepy hotel and see where it goes, and then as I was going, it was, like, oh, there's something deeper here about, like, this really human experience of, like, people who you love can just change, and there's no going back, and so I think that was, like, tied to the horror of it, and, you know, so I still have my, like, close group of friends from college and you know they're very like the dynamics are very present in the in the novel and my love for them is very present in the novel but there's also this like other dynamic of these friendships that you can lose and fall apart and the the stakes are pretty high.
1: (laughs) I You mentioned that you kind of threw them in this this creepy place and so that makes me wonder because I feel like you know, on the the show, we've talked to authors that kind of land on every part of the spectrum from, like, planner to pantser, but I, I'm curious, I feel like that, that is a little bit different with horror. Like, I feel like you almost would have to kind of plan out a timeline to see where things are going to escalate, but it, it sounds like you kind of saw where this was going to go as you were creating the story. I think, like, the
2: emotional stuff sort of came up while I was writing, like, I... Um, Like I grew up watching the Twilight Zone, so mm-hmm. I'm super like high concept in my thinking most of the time. I'm like it's going to be like this in space, or that. Like, yeah. like I can think <laughs> of like certain twists, or like the like the way I pitched the novel was like The Shining, but about female friendships. So I can think of these kind of like high concept ideas. But for me, writing is pretty cathartic, so the emotional stuff kind of comes out. And so I think like, the nuance of the relationships, and um, I don't want to give too much away about Mm -hmm. how it progresses, but, um, like, the nuance kind of comes as I'm writing, but I kind of knew, like, how it would escalate in terms of, like, the horror of it all. Um, But I know in earlier drafts, like, the hotel was a bit more of a character mm-hmm. and it pulled back and now it's a setting as opposed <laughs> to like like in The Shining the, the Overlook is very much like like closing in on them and in my earlier drafts, because like I feel like The Shining is like the drunk uncle of The Return like <laughs> it was a bit more like of a heavy presence and then it kind of became more of my own as I um went through the editing process oh man i hope that answered your question
1: that, I just, <laughs> I'm just on here. yeah no that's great i love i'm gonna find a way to add um drunk uncle to the like the spectrum of, of planner and Panzer. i'll i'll we'll finagle that in there um you mentioned being a fan of the twilight zone and as i kind of mentioned in the introduction you went to school for writing in, in film and television so was that Always, sort of the the type of content, whether it be visual or you know, for now obviously having written your debut novel for a book, I was that always the type of story that you wanted to tell, regardless of the medium.
2: Well, I've had a bit of a roundabout journey. Um, I <laughs> I definitely in college I wanted to pursue um, screenwriting and. I, I, my sophomore year, I was in a screenwriting club at Emerson called Spec, and they did a, a contest for a feature, like a feature screenplay, and the theme was horror. So before that, I had never, like, written anything in the genre, and I hadn't really considered it because I'm such a frady cat. Um... <laughs> Because I'm afraid of everything, it actually makes me a strong horror writer. <laughs> because I'm like, you know what's scary? Everything. <laughs> so um, I entered that contest and I won it, and I was like, oh, awesome! Like this is going to be my path. And like nothing happened with that script. And I um, moved out to LA my senior year. I did an internship at Focus Features, and I was like, this is what my life is going to be. Um, and then. I was like, but I don't want to live in L.A. So I came back to New York and then I tried L.A. again, had a mini breakdown, drove across the country in my car and I started working like city TV jobs um, in New York, like production assistant jobs that were just like 14 hour long days. And it's such a hard job. And I just didn't love it enough. Um, And. I was just really lost, and I was like, maybe I should try prose. Maybe I should write listicles. Maybe I should, <laughs> do, like, I just was trying to figure out, like, what I could do to get myself out of my, like, current state of lost misery, um, as one does in their early 20s. Of course. And I, like, started writing short stories that were, like, super high concept, and there was, like, the prose was just bad. And when I started working on my prose and kind of combining like a passion for like writing good sentences and high concept, that's kind of when things clicked. And I kind of was like, every, like I was like, oh, like I can, I'm a speculative fiction author and like I can do this. And this is my focus. And once I was able to kind of like, hone in on what I wanted to do and what I felt like I could do that's kind of how things came to be and I still write um short stories and hopefully maybe one day I could write tv or screenplays again but that's not my immediate focus right now but yeah that's to say (laughs) for anybody out there who's an aspiring writer it's not
1: always straight line. Yeah, well, I was I was gonna say it's so funny that you mentioned kind of being a Freddy cat because before we started this podcast, I always assumed that every horror writer looked like Stephen King, or if they wrote for younger kids, they looked like Arl Stein. Like they had that look where they're like, of course, they probably live in the literal house from The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Like that's what I thought, and now that I've interviewed a few horror authors. You and uh, Carrie Maniscalco writes kind of like books that are very like intense, and um, Sarah Faring, re- who wrote a book called The Tenth Girl, like they both told me in person the exact same thing you just said. Like I'm afraid of everything, so I actually see the fear in things. Like that's a really good point. It's probably easier to write the things that you're afraid of as opposed to someone who claims to have no fear and can't admit what's actually creepy. Yeah, I mean, I've come to
2: be kind of like. Like obsessed with morbid things. I think when you kind of embrace that interest instead of try and shy away from it, it can be kind of liberating. Um, But in terms of like how I live my life, like I'm very much still like if I get up in the middle of the night, my head's like, remember the Baba Jok? Like, (laughs) like that's just. brain so I think like because of that if I'm like all right this character is here what could this what could possibly go wrong like my brain's like I got you <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's Not, lots of options here it's it's like it's so funny though that like you say that about do you ever like wake up in the middle of the night and like, end up like leaving little notes to yourself because I will do that I I am one of those people where I'm currently reading a book that I'll tell you about after we're done recording because it hasn't come out yet and it's extremely creepy and extremely messed up and I'm waking up at like three in the morning with just the most like obscenely terrible thoughts and I don't feel that I am a horror writer but I'll just put a note in my phone like hey remember that thing that terrified you at 3 a.m because there might be like a, a nugget there like do you take advantage of those creepy moments in your own life and try to turn them into little plots I definitely filed them away
2: um, I don't need to, like, I need to write down good things because my brain is more like, like anything bad or dark, my brain's like, we're going to hold on to this for dear life. So <laughs> I have a pretty good file cabinet in my brain of scary things. But I do remember um, my husband has had a few terrifying dreams. And, like, randomly, he'll be like, I had a scary dream last night. I'm like, oh, yeah, what happened? And then by the end of it, I'm like, screenshotting the text messages or I'm writing everything down. Um, there's one specific dream he told me about that I'm trying to use and what I'm currently working on. I was just like, oh my God. And he's just like casual about it. Like, yeah, I had this dream. Right? I'm like, that's gold. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> Bring me another nugget.
1: Um. So I, I'm curious, uh, do you read horror as well when it comes to books?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I think... I had been, like, I remember, like, I have early memories of, like, watching horror stuff and just being so terrified by them that, like, like I have a very vivid memory of watching The Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. and I just recently, like, my family just moved to a new house, um, which was in the woods, and we didn't have window treatments yet. Oh. So I remember watching that movie and then, like, falling, like, trying to fall asleep in my room and just, like, looking out at the woods and being so like just such fear that like I was like you don't like horror stuff you can't handle it um, and I actually had like one of my close friends from college Maria like always was like we're going to watch like The Ring we're going to watch like the TV version of The Shining and this, the um, Kubrick version of The Shining like she's a super super horse and, and kind of through her um, I was like I actually like I like his stuff. It scares me, and it traumatizes me, and, like, I may have had a panic attack halfway through watching The Orphanage, but, like, I love that movie, and it's worth powering through. Um, So I think through her, like, I was, like, able to embrace, like, you can handle this. Like, um, because it always interested me, like, I was always, like, intrigued by it, but I just, like, it traumatized me too badly to be like, all right, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read The Shining, because I was like, you're, you're never, like, you can't survive, but <laughs> you act, like, I feel like when you're somebody who has a lot of fear, or who lives with a lot of anxiety, reading horror can be kind of cathartic, mm-hmm. because it's just like, I, I, there's a lot of, for me, I feel a lot of, like, shame around being afraid of things, or, um struggling with normal things so i think there's some sort of freedom in moving around in a world where like the monsters are real um and i think for me personally it's been more helpful to like immerse myself in horror than hurtful which is what i had been previously
1: afraid of it's so interesting that you mentioned about for, watching a, a scary movie and then not having window treatments and looking out into the woods is like, <laughs> that's like my living nightmare. Um, when I was a child as well, my parents let me watch Edward Scissorhands with them, which for some reason stuck with me to the point where like, I wouldn't walk past windows, especially once it didn't have blinds or anything, because I was like, well, something is certainly out there. And it is stuck with me to this day, like my wife will laugh endlessly. We live in a townhome and it's like one of those stacked townhomes where we have like four floors of house. Like it's not very big, but it's just up and down. And I love the fact that our room is on the third floor because it's there's no way that a person could be looking into that window at me and if they're if there there is yeah exactly but like she'll literally laugh because I will close all the curtains as like as much as possible and I still again early 30s will like bury myself under blankets and like that's the way I feel safest to sleep so you saying that you live by the woods without window treatments is like you can't see me right now but I am like viscerally uncomfortable
2: (laughs) it was a very short window of time like it must have been a few weeks after we moved in, and I must have been around 10 years old. So, like, why in that window we watched the Blair Witch Project? Probably because I asked. I was always, like, that kind of... Like, I would always be so intrigued by the stuff that I would ask, and then I would live in regret for (laughs) a long time after. But I still... I sleep with the um, blanket around my head. Now, because it's the only way I'm comfortable, but when I was a child, I would sleep with it over my head because I was like... Monsters aren't gonna find yeah. me under here.
1: Yeah. That, yeah no <laughs> they, one can no one,
2: one can get end. you. So, yeah, I like almost suffocate in my sleep because my like I like it's only my face exposed. Just like my nose and my mouth. So I can breathe. But the rest of me is covered and that's why I'm comfortable sleeping. Um because I- of monsters,
1: obviously. Yeah, no, I'm kind of the, the same way you mentioned about, like, wanting to watch stuff. Like, I, now I actually do love horror movies and, and horror books and, and things like that, but I am 100%, if someone says that, like, a movie is one of the, like, scariest things they've ever seen, and I start watching it, and I start to feel uncomfortable, like, I won't lie, I'll look up the Wikipedia, like, of what's going on in the plot, so I at least know what's coming. Like, it's just... Oh, me too.
2: Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I'm a bad that I shouldn't admit that, but... If- like, sometimes, like, if I know what happens, I can, like, I can enjoy it. But, like, the like I, I can't handle jump scares. Like, I'm very, like, weak about that. Like, mm-hmm. I can't let my anxiety level spike too high or, I'd like, it's not an enjoyable experience for me to a certain, to a certain, it's very, like, delicate. But I'm not saying, yeah, I'll look up the Wikipedia page if I, if I feel necessary. If the, like, red light is flashing <laughs> inside me, I'll be like, just do it. Um yeah, sometimes because you wanna know what happened, but it's hard. Yeah. No, <laughs> I
1: I feel like I, f- <laughs> I feel like watching horror is akin to, it's almost like akin to writing, or like I'm a, I'm a distance runner, so it's like akin to, to running, where people will say they love the fat, the idea of having run, like they love what it feels like after run, or they love what it feels like, and I'm the same, like I love what it feels like after a session when I've written 3,000 words, but the actual process is really tough. So it's like, I love having watched a horror movie at the end, and I can think about it, but in the moment, I'm so uncomfortable that I'm like, why am I doing this to myself?
2: Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I went to, I took my husband to go see the first It movie in theaters, and when we left, I was like, "All oh, right, that wasn't that bad." He's like, "You watched half of it through your fingers," and I was like, <laughs> "No, I didn't. That was fine. That was cool." Um, but like, there's for me, there's a very like fine line where like I'm enjoying the the wriggling mm-hmm. and when it gets too too much for me, um, so. But I think, like, the, like, I love that it, like, when you leave the the theater, or when you're, like, done with the movies, there's just this, like, sigh of relief. Just, like, I don't know, I just feel like, I love horror so much, because I feel like it's such an experience. Like, it's, it's just very special to me, the, like, the kind of emotions and what what it stirs in you, how it makes you think. For I me, mean, like nothing makes me think but the way the way horror makes me think. And and some sci fi like the that kind of I don't know, the stakes yeah. are so high. It just makes you like reflect on everything differently.
1: Well yeah and then like to get back to, to the book aspects of it like, like with your book as well, like I think the reason that I love reading horror is it's the opposite of watching horror, whereas, like, with your book, when a part was freaking me out, I could put the book down for a second, and I could escape for a minute and take a deep breath, but then I still had to go back to that that chapter I was on, that page <laughs> I was on. Like, I had to, you have to push yourself through it, and then it's worth it in the end. Like, there's no Wikipedia reference for, especially me, because I read your book before it came out. Like, there's nowhere online where I could be like, oh, God, what happened in this chapter? Like, I had to push myself through it, and I think... That's why I also love reading horror so much, especially with your book. It's like, I had to get through it so I could know what happened. Like, there's no there's no shortcut to reading the book. You just gotta, like, see yourself through to the other side. Yeah.
2: And I think, like, when, like, I think there's something that feels, like, very intimate about reading horror because it's just you and, like, the intensity of your own imagination like where like how far is it going to take you like I I think one of the like one of the most terrifying and like intense things I've ever read is The Lottery by Shirley Jackson like, oh. I rem- like I'll never forget reading that because it's so it's so terrifying mm-hmm. but like like, your mind creates the picture of, like, what you're actually seeing in the end, and uh, there's something very thrilling about that, um, and I think the kind of, like, like, I don't, like, ever want to give, like, too much Mm -hmm. in, like, in writing. I want to, like, have the Reader, be able to use their imagination and like unlock whatever horrible thing that they're gonna come up with instead of being like, this is exactly what this looks like or this is exactly what this is. Um, I like I like that in in horror having a little bit of room
1: to like work
2: <laughs> to let your imagination kind of
1: reveal how terrible it is yeah well that's why i love i love the characters in your book because there is that i think the scariest version of of horror for books is like that psychological horror where you're not sure what's going on and you're not sure if the narrators are being reliable or if they're lying to you a lot like shirley jackson novels where she will have unreliable narrators like it's the same thing with your characters like they at one point they would be Sure, something was happening, and then at the next point they would be not so sure at all, and like that. I think because you can only describe. I mean, there's definitely like body horror and stuff in here too. But like you can only describe something that's gross with so many adjectives. Whereas like if you can implant something in someone's mind, just what I think you did so well here is if you can implant something in someone's mind to make the reader wonder what's real and what's not. Like I think that's the most captivating type of. Horror book for sure.
2: That's what I like. Like, that's for me, that's the most fun and interesting to read. So I tried to kind of do the scene in my own writing. But um, yeah, I think for the narrator, too, um, yeah, at least definitely is very flawed human. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's up to whoever's reading her to figure out how much they relate to her, how much they trust her, um, how much they like or don't like her, um, and kind of take it from there. I I don't... I like characters who are like... have flaws and aren't perfect mm-hmm. and very real, and um, I, I hope that I was able to create that with Elise, that she's just She's just kind of figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, in a very kind of high-stress situation, as the novel unfolds, <laughs> we kind of use life tests, too, and definitely in a horror novel. Yeah, I was
1: going <laughs> to say, yeah, high-stress situation is a bit of an yeah. understatement there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Towards the end of our episodes with authors, we love asking what we call the Nerd 9, just nine lighthearted questions, because um, I like alliteration. They're no longer rapid fire, because people yelled at me and via <laughs> Twitter and email, being like, please stop saying that. They're not rapid fire. You get on tangents. So, these are lighthearted. The first one is, Do you? Uh, what was the last book you finished reading?
2: I just finished The Vegetarian by Han Kang, mm-hmm. which is very dark and very I, I highly recommend it um I don't want to give too much away it's very intense and I, I loved it
1: okay. uh do you have a favorite place to read
2: I'm big on the couch <laughs> I do a lot of stuff on the couch it's my spot <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: what is do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid?
2: I think the books that kind of, like, I remember the, the most, um, I was, like, a little princess growing up, like, very, very girly and, like, loved fairy tales and all that. And I remember reading um, The Stinky Cheese Man and other fairly stupid tales uh-huh. and just being like, what? Like, what is that? Like, it just, it was so funny and weird and kind of, like, Opened my little brain. <laughs> what else? Like, what else is out there in terms of storytelling? And like that, like there's something different than happily ever after. Um, and I think that kind of that book really shaped me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny to think about that, but uh, yeah. Thank you, Chief, man. It's the one they
1: haven't read it. Yeah, I was just gonna say. You no, know, it's funny you would say that because actually, um, we're recording this at the beginning of January, and like a week ago, we had an episode come out with John Cheshka and uh, his son-in-law. John Cheshka, wrote the Stinky Cheese Man, and he also wrote a book called The True Story of the Three Little Pigs, and they, oh yeah, I
2: got that one too. <laughs> yeah, so they had a
1: they had a new book come out, which of course I talked about. But then I, like, apologized to his son-in-law. I was like, I'm sorry, I can't not ask your father-in-law about these books that were such seminal parts of, of my childhood as well. So, yeah, no, very much on board with the Stinky Cheese Man, for sure. That's a that's a winner. <laughs> um, what is one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Ugh, I want to go
2: everywhere, but I think Scotland, like Edinburgh, mm-hmm. something like that. Like, there are, I want, like, a lot of fog, I want tea, and moodiness, and creepiness, and
1: old castles. Extreme, extremely stuff. on brand, it seems. Yes. Do you have a favorite holiday?
2: Halloween, of course.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, of if it was course. anything other than Halloween, you I I would to me. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Uh, both, in
2: excess. Love tea, love coffee. I drink them all day long.
1: Uh, cats or dogs? I'm
2: gonna. I'm. I'm a rebel. I'm not picking. I'm just saying both. Both. I have a cat. Her name is Gatsby, and she is a little diva. But um, I I love dogs as well.
1: All right, that's fair. Do you have a favorite food?
2: Tortilla chips. Ooh. I love tortilla chips, nachos, but like just chips and cheese nachos. That's okay. like, put some tortilla chips and some shredded cheddar in the microwave, and that's, to me, heaven, which is obviously because I'm a very classy brat, <laughs> but that's <laughs> ideal for me. That's, All right, like, death
1: kiss. And then uh, last one of these, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick?
2: Hmm. Um, probably my nanny. She passed away when I was very young, but she was uh, very sassy and funny, and um, I would like the opportunity to chat with her. Um, So that's not on brand, but (laughs) that's who I would... If I had that magic power, that is who I would pick.
1: Uh, Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading The Return?
2: Um, I hope they take away that it's okay to let go of relationships if they're not working for you anymore. If they're painful, it's okay to let them go. People change, and that's all right.
1: That is perfect. Rachel, the book is (laughs) so wonderful. Thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me on my first podcast. I hope I didn't ramble too much.
0: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunwald, and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com.